Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Merry Christmas to you. This is the second Sunday of the Christmas season, and I hope for you it has been a joy-filled and um, wonderful season thus far. And we're going to continue thinking about Christmas today and what it means that Jesus came to earth to be with us. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout and looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for this text, for this season, for a sanctuary in time, a few days to focus on you and your birth and what it means for us, and to lean into the joy that you bring to us in your life, Lord. I'm thankful for these texts, I'm thankful for this gospel, for a way to, um, a a guide, a a pathway for us to move into spiritually into this season, what it means that you were a baby, that you were alive, that you are alive, Lord. I'm thankful for this season, for this day. Would you help us, Lord, in this moment to grow in our intimacy with you and thus in our joy of knowing you, Lord, and may it flow out from us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, I wanna spend time with the three people who stand out in this text, um, Simeon, Mary, and Anna, as a really good word to us this morning, individually and devotionally. These texts have been used um, devotionally for people for so long. They just, they speak so loudly. The Holy Spirit speaks through them um, so clearly. And yet, before I wanna go to their individual stories and think about that, their stories for us devotionally, what I wanna do is take a step back. This is what I have to do as like a discipline for myself when I'm reading the text. I wanna take a step back first and look at the bigger story and ask, Um, kind of in the macro view, what's going on in the life of the world at this time, in this moment? 
what is in the background for us reading this text would have actually been in the foreground for people living during this moment and even for the early church. This would have been speaking way louder than anything else to them. So as good readers of the text, it's really good for us to say, what would this moment have been like for them at that time? So Luke begins his gospel in the temple. We see Zechariah, who's Jesus' uncle, I think that would be. Um, we see him in the temple as a priest in the temple. That's how the gospel starts. We see Jesus here in the temple and all throughout the gospel favorably in the temple. Luke's the only one who really does this with the temple, thinks about it and talks about it favorably. And then the gospel actually ends again in the temple with the disciples of Jesus as, after um, he has been resurrected, worshiping God in the temple. So for Luke, what he's doing here is he's centering us in a really long and big story that God has been telling for a really long time. The temple is where this idea of God with us even began. God set his people free from slavery in Egypt and sent them out kind of into the wilderness to wander to their promised land. And when he did this, he said, I want to be in the midst of you. I want to be with you as you do this. Would you make for me a tabernacle, a sort of moving temple? And such a strange idea to us. And it was even a strange idea back then that you would have this movable temple. But God wanted to be with his people. So they made this tabernacle and they eventually made the temple itself in Jerusalem. And this temple was incredibly important for the people of God. It was also a place of a lot of strife. There was people who were competing um, against Yahweh for worshiping other gods and they would set up these idols in the temple and it, so it just became a place that people fought over. A lot of the prophets you read about, they're talking about the temple and about it being used inappropriately. And so the temple for these people meant so much. Not only did it mean the presence of God, but it meant what it means to fight for God as a person who loves God. That's what the temple represented for them. So when we have Luke bringing us into the temple in this moment, God with us is what we're supposed to be thinking about. And so an incredible theological thing, just like nothing else, everything else aside, an incredible theological thing is happening in this moment. God himself, in the form of a baby, wandering into the very first place where God was with us, in the temple. God with us performing the laws of Moses. It's an insane, crazy thing that's happening in this moment that God would go into his own temple in the body of a human being. It's a really wonderful and incredible thing to think about. So this is for us an invitation into this bigger story, not just to come to these stories of Jesus and say, this has something to say about me, or this has something to do with, with what God's saying to me, but for us to enter into the bigger story, the grander narrative, that this is something God has been doing for a long time before we got here, and will be doing for a long time after we're no longer here anymore. This story is so big and it's a really good story is what Luke is also telling us. He speaks of it favorably of the temple in his gospel, meaning that this is a very good thing God came to do. It was good from the beginning and it's really good now, the things that he's doing through Jesus. So we wanna put that in the foreground before we kind of go into these personal stories because we really don't wanna miss the forest for the trees when we're reading our Bibles. So I don't know about you, but it's definitely a discipline for me to do that first, to remind myself that God is way bigger than me and what's happening for me in this story. However, it is helpful and God has created these stories to do something in us and for us. So we wanna lean into the stories of these three people today 
because they reveal so much to us about what it looks like to be in this greater story, what it looks like for us on a personal basis, on a day-to-day basis, what it looks like to find our part and our responsibility in the story. Overall, what I think these three people are revealing to us is what it looks like to have true intimacy and friendship with Jesus. They're kind of a litmus test for what our relationship is like with God, not in a judgmental way, but in actually a very generous way. These people kind of reveal in us what's going on in our hearts. It's a place where we are able to see where God is close to us. We find ourselves, as Paul would call it, um, or Paul would say it, as actual temples of the Holy Spirit. If I'm a place where God wants to be at home in me, then I wanna make my life into a place that's hospitable for him. What is my intimacy like with Jesus? What's it like on the interior of my heart? And how can I test that out? These three stories really do that for us. So let's take a closer look at each one. First, we're gonna take a look at Simeon. He's an example for us of what it looks like to long for God, what it looks like when you have the intimacy with Jesus and kind of what it is that comes out of you when that's the case for you. The Bible says that Simeon was a righteous and devout man, that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He has been looking for what God promised. He's been looking for it for a really long time in a way that a lot of people had grown tired and weary of. We assume he's old from the way he talks about his own death here, and I think that it's, it's smart for us to think about the fact that old, being old a lot of times metaphorically can mean growing cold or hopeless or cynical about things. And yet, rather than growing harder and colder, we see this man who has actually grown more sure more ready for the consolation of Israel and more hopeful. And it seems as though in him that this hope has actually made space for the Holy Spirit, that it has made him a place in which the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell. And so he has this, the Bible says, like the Holy Spirit rests on him, that there's something about him that makes it himself a hospitable place for God. Simeon was a temple himself. The hope in him was a home for the Holy Spirit. That same spirit led him to his encounter with Jesus in the temple, which you will find is true of your life. The more you pray, the more you feel closer to the Holy Spirit. And then what even more mysteriously happens is then you find God in other places in your life more as well. And so that's exactly what's happening to Simeon. He finds himself close to God and still encountering God when he moves out then into the world, encountering God in new and different ways. Simeon's devotion, his belief, his hope connected him to God. And so deep was his longing for God that he knew him as soon as he saw him. There was in Simeon some immediate joy and worship as he held this little baby. The kind of intimacy and joy and um, emotion you get from seeing someone you love or holding a baby for the first time, this kind of like welling up of things in him, that's what came out of him. And I love that this is a moment where a man holds a baby because for so many of us um, who are men, you find it hard, so I've heard, to feel that kind of intimacy with Jesus, to feel the closeness that it seems is on offer to women in a way that isn't to men. And yet we see this old man, Simeon here, being as intimate with Jesus as his mother is and just holding him and being close with God in that way. It's a really beautiful picture for us of what it looks like to be intimate with God. And so for him, there's a rush of love and joy and worship. 
And when I think about myself and my own prayer time, it can feel um, like I'm pushing through weariness a lot of time or even heaviness. There isn't this kind of immediate rush of joy in worship. And at times there is, um, but I find myself, especially recently, fighting through those kinds of heavy feelings. Simeon is a reminder of the joy that's meant to spring up in us when we have a close relationship with Jesus, when we are deep friends with him. Not just joy, but worship. We have trouble worshiping because our feelings feel so dulled by sleepiness and entertainment and cynicism, but hope does something to us. Hope makes our hearts tender. It takes them from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. It makes us the kind of people who are more hospitable to the spirit of God. It makes us people who worship because the one that we have longed for has met us. Simeon is an example for us of what this looks like, to be intimate with God in a way that you know him exactly when you see him and what comes out of you is worship and joy. Next, we have Mary, who's an example of what it looks like to love Jesus so much that it's costly. Some of you, I'm sure, who are hearing me talk about holding a baby and feeling joy are like, that is not my only feeling. <laughs> um, there's actually a lot of terror that comes with that as well. And that is true. And we actually kind of see that, both of those things in this moment with Mary and Simeon, um, that there is this overflow of joy, but also a kind of terror that comes with it. I think this moment between the two of them is one of the most tender moments in all of scripture when he's you know, this old man who's been in the temple and worshiping God and he turns to these parents and he blesses them. And then he turns to Mary, like has a specific word just for her and says, you know, this is gonna be really hard. And what parent hasn't thought that as you're holding a tiny baby, you know, that this whole thing is so good and it's going to be so hard. There are two kinds of cost I think that come with knowing Jesus and being really close to Jesus and following him and, and knowing him intimately. The first one is this one that Simeon is putting his finger on. The fact that the very essence of God with us does something to the world. It does something to us actually. It raises up something in us that causes either acceptance or rejection, rising or falling, even opposition, he says. Who we are is revealed in him and so many of us work to hide that. We wanna hide who we are, hide things about ourselves. But we as Christians are called to be people of light and to step into the light. As a Christian, we open ourselves up to examination, not only by God, but by our community, by those we love and trust around us. And it, it costs something to be called out, to be rebuked, to be open in front of people, to be vulnerable. There's a huge cost to that for some of us, for all of us. Secondly, a cost, another cost for Mary and for us, is that Mary's life as Jesus's mother was, a calling out, was calling out something in her that could have been there no other way. There was a kind of cost of vocation of being Jesus's mother. But there was a calling on her life to deeply love her son, to raise him, to let him go into the world, to do what God had called him to, whatever the cost. God is calling something out in you through Jesus that wouldn't be there any other way. That's what this kind of sword thing is talking about, you know? What's the sword in your own soul from following Jesus? Is it singleness and celibacy? Because that costs something. Staying in a marriage, staying in a friendship you otherwise would have left behind a long time ago, being committed to something you would have left behind. 
There's a cost for us when we love Jesus. It, it costs us something to be committed. Some of us would like to opt out of this, <laughs> write off our circumstances as unspiritual. That's what I've found I do in my own life and I've heard from other people. As soon as we encounter something hard, we kind of back off from the spiritual narrative and just say we have boundaries, you know, and put up those things and it stops costing us something. Um, and yet, at any point in our spiritual life, there is a cost that comes with living in the light of Jesus, revealing things we'd rather not deal with or see as well as a cost of love, that knowing Jesus can really cost us something. And the thing that we know at the end of the day, you know, that we wanna say right now out loud is that the costing actually makes us freer. It actually makes us more self. So you and I know that this cost is a most worthy cost, worth wasting our life at the feet of Jesus. It's true. But as Christians, we are also able to say that this thing is good and it is hard. We are able to hold both of those things at one time. So just to say, knowing Jesus and being in an intimate relationship with him does cost us something. And it's okay to acknowledge that. So what is your relationship with Jesus costing you? Lastly, we see this woman named Anna, who's kind of just this glowing moment, you know, in the Gospels. It's a very short story, but a very good one. And she's an example to us of what it looks like to share what we have in this love in Jesus. Anna is old and single and seemingly childless. She likely would have been living with one of her children if she had had children. Um, and so back then, you know, her life would seem really kind of hopeless or even meaningless. And yet she has found her home in the temple of God. She's as close to God as she can get, even in the midst of her life um, that may feel to society empty. She finds herself close to God. And because of that, she senses in her spirit in the same way that Simeon does that the Messiah had come. It says, at that moment she came. She also just knew in that moment. It also says, she began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The thing she waited for, the thing she hoped for was here. So in the same way that worship bubbled out of Simeon when he found Jesus out of the depths of his soul, what came out of Anna? Evangelism. Um, and that word probably made some of you jump a little bit. Um, unfortunately, evangelical and evangelism has, um, that word has been tainted for some of us by how connected it's become with politics in our world right now. But the root of that word is good news. She was a person who in Jesus had found really good news. News to be shared, news to be spread throughout the world. That's what news is. This was an overflow of the Christian life, of some, someone who experiences intimacy with Jesus. We can't not talk about it. It's good news. We wanna spread it and let it bubble out into the world from us. Does this mean that you go get a poster board and a permanent marker and make a cool sign and stand out on a street corner? I don't know, maybe. God may be calling some of you to that. Um, I suspect it probably means something more like there may be some phone calls that you need to make. Um, or some conversations that need to be had. Evangelism in my life comes, uh, you know, sometimes in the form of uncomfortable and weird conversations with strangers, but it does come in other forms as well. Um, things like apologies, invitations, meals, gifts, um, even tears, 
being vulnerable, vulnerable enough to be moved to tears in front of someone who doesn't know Jesus um, can feel very strange. And yet there's something in you that makes them ask, why? Why are you this way? And that's, that's what we want as Christians, to live the kind of life that make people ask why. That's a life of evangelism doesn't have to be some sort of crazy, you know, flag in the street waving kind of let me tell you about Jesus thing. It could be. I don't want to, you know, quench the spirit. But for you and for me, my, my assumption is for most of us, it's going to look more like living the kind of life that people want to know more about. Being the kind of person who lives in such a way that it flows out from us and that we want to tell people about why our life is good um, because of the good news of Jesus. So these three encounters with Jesus are like litmus tests for us, for our spiritual lives. The first is, do I have the kind of intimacy with God that makes me joyful, that makes me sing and worship? Do I have the kind of intimacy with God that costs me something? And do I have the kind of intimacy with God that makes me tell people about it? Jesus' birth, God as a baby, is not meant to make us sentimental but it is meant to make us tender, to remind us that we were created for intimacy with God and that there is real evidence in our lives when we experience this intimacy with God. We've been reading Isaiah in the daily office, if you've been following along with that, um, in the Book of Common Prayer, and there have been a few things that have just kind of stood out to me and I've had trouble getting them out of my mind, and one of them is Isaiah 37, verse 31. And I think it's a good way to kind of wrap up what we've been talking about today. The text says, And the surviving remnant in the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And this is what these seasons are for. The seasons of the church calendar, these texts that we're in sometimes only for a short season, these are ways that we can engage with what God is doing, what the themes are, the stories that God is telling in the Bible through those, through those seasons and we let them kind of take root downward so that we can bear the fruit of those seasons upward. That's the whole point of this. We're not you know, trying to be weird by following the church calendar. It's actually very helpful for us. And so this season that we're in right now, it's a really short season of feasting called Christmas Tide that we're in right now. And what it's meant to do for us is take the joy and intimacy of Jesus, let it root down in us like it did for Simeon and Anna and Mary throughout their lives. Let it take deep root in us so that it will bear the fruits of worship and of costly love and of a life of sharing the good news. That's the good fruit that comes out of a life of intimacy with Jesus. So lean into that this week. If you haven't had the emotional space or actual time and space to kind of lean into the Advent season or even this very short season of Christmas tide, would you take this week to ask Jesus to come close to you and to dig down these roots of intimacy and friendship with him deeper in you. Sit and imagine these stories of what it was like to be one of these three people. It's a good season we're in. We're gonna do communion. Since we're not meeting in person, um, we're gonna do communion here. So those of you who took communion home with with you, you can do that with us right now. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Whenever you do this, 
you do it in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. And it is through this meal that we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. Let's pray. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And we offer to you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also, that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him in the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your son, Jesus Christ, and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom, where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever, amen. And now we will pray the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray, and we will pray it boldly with one another. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you in a few days.